Welcome back to Money and Meaning, stories of unlocking the potential of global markets for impact. I'm your host, Alex Kravitz. Thank you to our sponsors this week, Prudential and the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, for helping to support the mission of the show. UNICEF, or the United Nations Children's Fund, has been around for over 75 years and has helped to save more children's lives than any other humanitarian organization. In 2011, UNICEF USA launched the Impact Fund for Children, an impact investment arm that accelerates capital to UNICEF, speeding response times to urgent needs such as COVID-19 or disaster relief, and further improving outcomes. Through the innovative fund structure, the Impact Fund for Children accepts both grant capital and investment dollars, using grants to leverage further lending into the fund and increase the fund's capacity for impact. Joining me this week is Christina Shapiro, the president of UNICEF USA's Impact Fund for Children. Previously, Christina served as the head of global strategy, management, and employee engagement for the Goldman Sachs Foundation and the global head of their 10,000 Women Initiative. During our conversation, Christina talks about the innovative fund structure, the multiplying effect of investing in children, and new ways they're thinking about the use of investment capital to confront the challenges facing children around the globe. Let's jump into the conversation. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. I'm glad to be here. I imagine that a lot of listeners will be familiar with with UNICEF, but could you start us off with an overview of the organization? For those who may not know, UNICEF is the United Nations Children's Fund. It's a UN agency that for the last 75 years has been working in over 190 countries tirelessly for the rights and well-being of every child. And what that means is that they're providing health care and immunizations, safe water, sanitation, nutrition, education, and emergency relief to children around the world. And in fact, they immunize close to 50% of the world's children. We don't do it alone. Clearly, Alex, this takes the support of donors and partners, um, but really proud that UNICEF has helped save more children's lives than any other humanitarian organization around the world. The one thing that I was really excited about when I joined was to learn that UNICEF can ship life-saving supplies almost anywhere in the world within 48 to 72 hours. They respond to over 300 emergencies, and that has been instrumental in particular in this last year when you think about COVID and getting masks, oxygen concentrators, hospital beds, and just regular vaccines to all the countries that need those supplies. Tell me a bit about the Impact Fund for Children. The Impact Fund for Children is the impact investing arm of UNICEF USA, and it manages the Bridge Fund, uh, which I'll talk more about. Um, But in short, we provide opportunities for investors and donors who want to help solve the biggest challenges for children. And uh, to bring it to life, the Bridge Fund saves lives by moving money more quickly. And, you know, often I get asked, well, why, why do you need to move money more quickly? Why does that matter? And it matters because when UNICEF needs to buy vaccines or get you know supplies into a country before winter to protect those kids that might be exposed to winter, it needs to do it when it needs to, not when the cash arrives. And so what we'll do is we front uh, donor dollars. So donor money comes in over time. UNICEF will call us and say, we need the money now, even if the donor money is coming in in six months. Could you advance it to us? And then we will buy the supplies, we will respond to emergencies, we will deliver clean water and ensure that programs can continue seamlessly. And then we will repay you, Bridge Fund, when the donor money comes in. 
And since the Bridge Fund's inception, we have uh, provided UNICEF with close to a half a billion dollars to be able to primarily uh, purchase and deliver supplies, uh, healthcare-related commodities on time. And we're a core partner to them this year as they were responding to COVID. In the example of like a, a natural disaster, there's a, a call for donations and then there's, you know, commitments by people and, and organizations and, and governments and such. But there's a, a timing gap essentially between the, the outreach for aid and being able to collect and deploy the funding. Is that, is that right? In the case of like a natural disaster, obviously the, the urgency of the response is, is crucial. So that's where the, the impact fund comes in. That's exactly right. I mean, uh, recently we saw what happened in Haiti. We knew that UNICEF USA was going to be raising donor dollars for Haiti. We went ahead and approved a million dollars and sent that to UNICEF so that they could immediately start to engage with aid within a couple of days, even if that donor money took several months to come in. So that's an example of, of a disaster. We did the same thing with the explosion in the Beirut port last summer. But I'll give you an example of, of COVID and to maybe bring that to life a little bit. If you think about India in May of 2021, um, it was the peak of the COVID crisis for that country. And there were about three people dying every minute. And in that instance, um, we spoke to our, our UNICEF colleagues who said, we need to get money into India right away um, so that we can start to buy more oxygen concentrators and get masks. And so we sent $6 million a full month sooner than otherwise would have been possible. And again, what's the value of a month? Our money went to buy, amongst other things, two oxygen concentrators. Each of those serves a 500-bed hospital. So those two concentrators now expanded oxygen availability to 1,000 beds a month sooner. And with, as we said, three people dying every minute, uh, once you're in need of oxygen, that bridge clearly saved lives. It could be a natural disaster. It could be a humanitarian disaster, such as COVID uh, has been and continues to be around the world. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. It's a really interesting intersection of impact investing and humanitarian aid and investing in, in children. How, how did you end up in this role? How did you get into this work? I came to, to UNICEF from Goldman Sachs, uh, where for nine years I led different impact lending initiatives and was for seven and a half of those years was part of a team that made loans and investments in low-income communities around the United States. And, you know, had the privilege of working for a very large financial institution, but with a lens always towards impact. And some of the transactions that I had the privilege to lead were social impact bonds whereby we were increasing access to high quality education for three and four year olds. And Goldman and other investors only got paid back if those children showed certain educational outcomes. And as part of doing that work, you know, I got to reading a lot about the value of investing in children. And you know, if you're able to invest those dollars early on, the economic benefit to that child, that child's family, that child's community is remarkable and really fell in love with both the idea of impacting children early on, but also the power of innovative finance. And through a headhunter who reached out to me, I found out about the opportunity to join the Impact Fund for Children. And I fell in love with the idea for a couple of reasons. One, I had the chance to go to an organization where impact is at the center of everything they do every day. Again, Goldman, great organization, but impact is not you know, their, their reason for being. UNICEF, it is, it's entirety. And secondly, I was able to join with a 
financing and investing role, which was of interest to me. I really enjoyed my my lending and investing role at Goldman and wanted to continue doing it. And then was able to join an organization where I could both grow an existing product such as the Bridge Fund, which as we talked about, has already accelerated a half a billion dollars. And I think the potential is tenfold that. But I also am looking to launch new funds that could catalyze private sector funding for the benefit of UNICEF's mission. That's really interesting. The social impact bond experience, it sounds like you have some, you know, you've worked with this cross-sector government and NGO and private investors all coming together with, you know, one impact goal in mind. It does. It, it requires an alignment of interests between the different players. I mean, I don't, you know, social impact bonds are one kind of tool, but I think the point there being is how do you use private capital and bring it to the forefront to solve very complex social challenges and the reason I think that's so important is philanthropy is critical, government support is critical, but those are finite resources. And unless we start to look at the trillions, as they're often called, the sleeping trillions that exist all over the world and start to channel more of those with the lens towards impact, we're simply not going to be able to move the needle as much as we need to. You know, just to give you a sense of the urgency, and again, your audience may know this, you may know this, is covid was a major setback for children. For the first time, we saw a, a shift back in terms of progress on outcomes for children. And we saw 150 million incremental children fall into poverty, taking that number to 1.2 billion. So again, philanthropy is critical. Government support is critical, but so is the private sector. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that's what we try to highlight on the show are, are people and organizations like yourself who are using, you know, innovative ways of, of driving the capital markets towards impact. So it's really fascinating. And I haven't heard of a lot of other large NGOs who are, who are doing similar work. So have you seen other people? I think it's been around for about 10 years or so, right? Have you ever seen other organizations replicate the, the model? So the Bridge Fund is unique. There really, really? isn't, um, not that I, not that we've seen, um, but there isn't another organization like ours that is providing that working capital and bridging donor money for another UN agency or NGO. There are clearly other NGOs that have launched different impact investing efforts, whether it's Save the Children or Care or Habitat. Those examples abound, and I think they're evidence that those organizations are increasingly counting on the private sector to also start to invest in building the infrastructure and solutions that could benefit at-risk populations around the world or in the United States. And one of the advantages of the using investment capital, I imagine, as opposed to grant capital, is that you know it's revolving, right? You can continue to, you know, once you receive it back from aid commitments, then you can deploy it again into a, another area where it's needed. That's exactly right. So what I'd love to do is maybe share a little bit about how the Bridge Fund works, because yeah, it brings to life what you just said. The Bridge Fund is a revolving fund. And the way that it works is that we first raised a pool of grants or donations, and we use those grants as collateral to protect a pool of fixed rate or fixed term loans. So the grants, for every dollar in grants that we receive in the Bridge Fund, we are able to raise three and a half dollars in private capital. And then we use that capital for UNICEF to buy its supplies, to continue programs. And then as the donor money comes in, they repay us and we put that money back out. So every dollar in grants allows us to borrow three and a half dollars. That turns multiple times. 
So the grants have a multiplier effect that is extensive over years. So to bring it to life, one example is a donor who provided us $500,000 in grant funding for the Bridge Fund in 2014. Again, those grants sit in a protected account and are used exclusively to bring on leverage. Her donation, that $500,000, has already enabled $15.5 million dollars in funding to UNICEF over the last eight years. So that's a 31x return on her grants and her grants continue to work. We haven't lost a single dollar. We've advanced, you know, as I said, half a billion dollars and we've been repaid every time, which has enabled those grant dollars to continue to work to bring on additional leverage for UNICEF. That same donor also provided us $500,000 in loans. And those loans, some of it came through her donor advised fund has already enabled over $3 million in accelerated funding. So the exciting part of the Bridge Fund is we use the grants in a very efficient way to take on leverage. That leverage provides support to UNICEF. It turns multiple times before we have to repay those lenders. And if you want to see it, the return on investment for that donor is significant in terms of um, their grant has already achieved a 31x return, continues to work. If you're a lender, your loan was already turned at least six times for that particular donor before it's repaid, and they're able to get a modest return, not just the return of their money back, but a modest return on their investment through an interest rate that we pay them. So we're able to tap the donor market to then bring on the lender market, and that allows us to achieve the, the, the significant multiplier effect for UNICEF. Yeah, and I, I imagine if you're you know like a foundation that's passionate about investing in children or early childhood development, it also allows you to deploy your endowment towards the mission of the organization by investing in the, the fund, in addition to just providing the charity that we talked about. Yeah, we've seen a lot of high net worth individuals see the Bridge Fund as having significant appeal, in particular during COVID, because the Bridge Fund is an emergency fund for UNICEF. So we are there to respond to where there are cash flow gaps. And in this past year, most of our, our funding to UNICEF was to support COVID response, whether it was the procurement of personal protective equipment for frontline healthcare workers, or to procure cold chain equipment to ensure that immunization campaigns in countries like Nigeria could continue uninterrupted during COVID, which significantly benefits children. So there's a lot of donors who see the value in, in providing money to the Bridge Fund because we're able to support multiple efforts of UNICEF in multiple geographies over time. And then if you're a lender, what's very exciting is that you now have an opportunity to, to not just grant, but you can lend to the Bridge Fund, achieve significant impact, given our track record where we've accelerated all this money with no defaults, have a reasonable expectation of getting not just your money back, but the interest. And then you can renew with us or recoup your money and invest it somewhere else. We're seeing significant interest, and our goal over the coming years is to significantly scale the size of the Bridge Fund. Yeah, that's great. And I know you take grants right through your website. So if anyone is interested, you know, like you mentioned, it has that multiplier effect. You can absolutely uh, donate to the Bridge Fund through our website at unicefusa.org forward slash bridge fund. It could be through your donor advice fund or a direct grant. There is no minimum. And every grant dollar, again, goes into a protected account. And we can borrow three and a half dollars or three and a half times whatever grant amount somebody gives us. Do you take investment as well, outside investment? Who are, who's investing in the, in the fund? 
we absolutely can take funding from external lenders. Mm -hmm. Some of our largest lenders include TD Bank, who has provided us with a very significant line of credit to support our work, Aflac, Merck, and Prudential, who was our first and continues to be one of our largest lending partners. But we also have loans from other organizations, such as faith-based institutions, that are using their endowment to provide lending support to the bridge fund and high net worth individuals who have either learned about us on their own or through their financial advisor and like the idea of investing in the bridge fund, they see us as a low risk fixed income type product that is achieving significant impact. UNICEF covers a really wide range of interventions from, from healthcare to education to water and sanitation. And, you know, you mentioned a, a few of them and it operates across the, the globe. How, how are you selecting from among the, the investment opportunities? I imagine there's no shortage of places where the money is needed. That is absolutely true. I mean, we do have limited resources, which is why we're trying to scale the bridge fund. And we're going to be driven primarily by UNICEF priorities. As I said, we are an emergency response partner for UNICEF, and it is very important that we retain that flexibility. So we have often had either donors or lenders who want to restrict their funding to particular geographies or particular sectors, uh, water, sanitation, or, or education, or healthcare. And we on purpose don't do that because we don't know where the next cash gap is going to arise. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to be in a position where there's money needed for COVID response more broadly, but our money is limited to education support in a very particular country in Africa. And so we're driven by UNICEF priorities, by our funding capacity, and then we do extensive due diligence, right? We look at the request to bridge a particular donor commitment. And we look at that donor's history with UNICEF in terms of honoring their pledge or, or their payment. If there are any contingencies or conditions which might result in that donor not paying what they indicated they would, which then gives our lenders the confidence that if we're advancing money to UNICEF, that we are confident that we can get it back. A lot you, of our work has been in healthcare, though, not surprisingly, but I, I think we're seeing increasing, like you said, healthcare, education. I, I want to bring it to life in terms of how our bridge funding also helps yeah, children, because I talked about India and often, you know, we keep talking about how COVID doesn't impact children, it impacts adults, but we clearly know that children were significantly impacted given how many of those children were not in school for such a long time. But some direct examples of bridge funding and its impact on children are we provided a $700,000 bridge a full year ahead of donor money coming in for a program that particularly focused on helping to reduce child marriage. And one example of, of why that is so, so important and so significant is that in the time frame, in the first four months in Malawi alone, where children were out of school, there were 40,000 girls who were married, children who were married, and 13,000 of them who became pregnant just during that initial closure. So accelerating $700,000 for a program that is focused on preventing child marriage a full year ahead of schedule is really critical and has a direct impact on the girls that it's looking to, to reach. I'm not saying that we would have avoided all of those marriages or pregnancies, but Clearly, uh, having waited a full year would have resulted in a significantly larger number of those girls potentially being in a situation of early marriage. Yeah, with such a broad range of 
program areas from child marriage in Malawi to, you know, oxygen access in, in India. Are you, are you, how do you measure the, the impact of the fund? Are you doing it on a instance by instance basis or is there, you know, aggregate metrics that you're wrapping all these investments up into? How do you, how do you think about, you know, measuring success? I'll tell you how we're doing it, but I, I always think that we need to do better. And that's clearly mm -hmm. a theme in the impact investing space. Definitely. If you look on our website, which I would encourage you and, and, and all of your listeners to do so, we have our annual report and then our quarterly impact reports. And we report all of our transactions and we aggregate it based on impact by sustainable development goal area. So we report on impact across the SDGs. And we have a model where we look at inputs, outputs, outcomes, and impact. And so for every transaction that we approve, we are looking at how much money is being requested, how much money we are paying out, what that money is buying. So the inputs is the funding, the outputs might be, you know, we're, we're helping to buy vaccines for X number of children. The outcomes might be X number of children are vaccinated in a particular geography and the impact is ultimately tracked through UNICEF in terms of improved immunization and decreased sickness or improved health indicators in particular countries around the world. So we absolutely look at all of that. Because we are a fund that is um, supporting UNICEF's core activities, we don't track every one of our dollars all the way through to the impact, right? Because we help UNICEF in the example of the supplies, we help them buy supplies. They then distribute those supplies across many different geographies. And so when we do look at the impact, we're doing it at the UNICEF level based on the indicators that they're tracking. And any one of our reports, you can see how much of our funding went to support a particular uh, SDG around good health and well-being or education or water and sanitation or gender. And we could track all of our portfolio since inception across those particular SDGs as well. We've talked mostly about the Bridge Fund, which is part of the the larger impact fund for for children. Are there other ways that you're considering using investment to further the UNICEF mission? Absolutely. There's there's a lot of things in progress that I, I hope that you'll invite me back and we can you can't talk, talk about them as, as we launch them. Um, okay. But I'll give you a brief preview, but then I'll talk about an example of another product that we launched earlier during the pandemic, just to give you an example of the role that I think we play in the UNICEF ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So currently we are exploring a catalytic fund that will allow us to target funding to businesses that deepen the delivery of product or services for children and families in low income or lower middle income countries around the world. And that is because, again, we talked about it earlier, but in order to really address the challenges that children and their families are facing around the world, you need to think about not just accelerating philanthropic dollars that are going to UNICEF, which is what the Bridge Fund does. And we talked about why that is so important and the value of time, but you also have to invest in the full ecosystem of players that are delivering services in a sustainable way that doesn't rely on grants. So by making businesses that are providing affordable products or services to those communities better, by making those businesses better, hopefully they're able to serve a lot of individuals that UNICEF can't reach with their more limited philanthropic or government-funded uh, solutions. So you need a, a complement of players, so that's one direction, and it will take us down a path of more traditional impact investing, where you're raising private capital mm -hmm. and investing it in other private solutions that are impact-driven. 
An example of, uh, of a product that we launched early on in the pandemic, and in fact, I'm, I'm really proud, it's something that we did just as I'd started, is called the Fast Fund. So it's, it's a product that we launched in May of 2020 to help UNICEF navigate the very competitive PPE marketplace that occurred at the start of the pandemic. I don't know if you take yourself back to that time, it was very hard to buy personal protective equipment. UNICEF uh, as I said, procures health commodities for governments all around the world, including PPE. And at that particular time, in order to bid on contracts, they had to prepay suppliers in advance of getting the goods. UNICEF, as part of its statute, is really not able to take on risk with its own cash. And so they asked us to create a guarantee fund whereby we would protect their risk as they bid on these PPE contracts if suppliers didn't deliver. And so we were quickly able to raise a fund and provide that guarantee that enabled them to buy close to 19 million units of PPE very early on. It's a product that we launched uh, within a month and we raised money within a month. Shortly thereafter, UNICEF was able to raise a very large guarantee fund from other larger private sector partners and they didn't need us any longer, but we were able to meet a point in time need that nobody else could meet. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's just an example of, you know, need, we need to be nimble, right? We need mm -hmm. to be able to respond to UNICEF needs. And in that instance, it was a guarantee, not a bridge facility where we're actually sending cash out. And if we fast forward to what we hope will be this catalytic fund, it will be a very different type of financial product. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty big pivot um, if you're talking about lending into businesses. So I'll, I'll have to have you have you back on when you can talk a little bit more about that. The only thing I would say is, look, we're going to look to build on our strengths and then mm -hmm. partner with those who have strengths in other areas. And so I very much see us, if we move in that direction, it's going to be uh, looking to partner with organizations that have boots on the ground and have that capacity where we can add the value of bringing in the impact framework measurement and evaluation that matters to UNICEF helping to raise some of that catalytic funding and then ensuring that whoever we partner with can really help us scale by bringing in private capital into markets that are not getting it today. Is there anything that, that I haven't asked that you'd like to mention before we sign off here? The one thing I would likely sign off with is that if COVID has shown us anything is that we are not safe until we are all safe. And while there are certainly significant challenges that need to be addressed in the in the United States. And a lot of corporations and foundations and individuals are looking to allocate their funds domestically to solve those challenges. I wanna urge uh, your listeners to really look internationally to realize that unless we are addressing the COVID impact internationally, equitably, it's going to impact our recovery here in the United States as well. And uh, the UNICEF USA and the Bridge Fund in particular are very much focused on continuing to allocate support for equitable distribution of vaccines and healthcare commodities. And we need everyone's help to do that. Yeah, thank you. That's a, it's a great note to end on. And, and thank you for all the amazing work that, that you're doing with the Impact Fund for Children and have done over the last 18 months and in the last 10 years since the the fund was launched. So, and thank you for taking the time to, to join me on the show today. Great to see you, Alex. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Money and Meaning. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Christina Shapiro, the president of UNICEF USA's Impact Fund for Children. If you want to learn more about the fund or ways that you can get involved and support their work, 
check out our website at socapglobal.com, where we'll link to additional resources for listeners who want to learn more. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week again, Prudential and the W.K. Kellogg Foundation for supporting our work. And as always, I'd like to thank our producer, Dave Lashansky. I'll be back soon with a new episode of Money and Meaning.